Isaac, we've been doing this podcast for three years, I think. But for 30 years, I've been waiting to ask you this question. I'm ready. What does the ceiling is the roof mean to you? Michael Jordan. That's what it means to you? That's what I think about as soon as I, as soon as Isaac, I that it. wasn't the question. The question was, <laughs> what does it mean to you? That means to me, when you say the ceiling is the roof, that means you're capping potential. Like That means you're putting a limit on the potential of a great player like a Luka Doncic. Like if somebody told Luka, Luka, the ceiling is the roof. He's like, no, there is no roof. The roof, like my, my limits are limitless. So I think when I hear that, that saying like, Hey, you're, you're trying to put a limit on something and whether it's podcasting or playing basketball, you don't need limits. You can exceed them. So do you think MJ was bashing the Tar Heels when he said that? Like, was that like a, a backhanded compliment or do you think, like, do you think that as he was saying it, he knew what he was saying or do you think he meant it as like a, like praise and motivation? He probably meant it as a praise and motivational, as some like really inspirational, hey, this is going to be written on like one of their shoes or something. And instead, it's would, just the name of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or he, he was thinking, he was like, you know what? The Mavericks, they need a new podcast name. And I'm going to give it to him right here. There you go. And now I was looking on Spotify the other day to share the link to the first part of this series, the one that Mike and I did a couple days ago. And uh, in the search bar, I, I just typed in The Ceiling is the Roof. And it turns out there's another basketball podcast called The Ceiling is the Roof. Now, Ooh. imitation is the finest form of flattery. But I just want to go on record and say the odds are we were the first one. So all of you failed imitators out there, you copycats, find a new bit, all right? Find a new slant. We are the original one. And Isaac, this is your first time on this program. How excited are you on a scale of like 1 to 23? Oh, 24, because Excellent. I'm not going to put a limit on that. And I would just, I would like to thank my family and the people that really helped me along the way that believed in me. I'm not proving the doubters wrong. I'm proving the people who believed in me right. Oh, Dennis, buddy, I miss you so much. <laughs> I miss you so much. I, I do love that do quote, you? though. I, I just, that, that attitude, I really, really, really love. I do too, yeah. Because, like, I get it. Everybody needs motivation, and and I know, like, whatever. Michael Jordan even concocted fake stories to motivate himself. But, like, if you do something great and you get up there and you're like, yeah, there were a lot of people said we couldn't do it. This is for all of them. It's like, come on. Like, how petty do you have to be? Like, celebrate <laughs> the people that were right there with you the whole time. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It just feels like you're, like, trying to get back at people instead of, like, trying to trying to do it for the ones that believe. That's true. I think people do love a, a good revenge story, too, in Hollywood and everything. And I think it gives some people a, a sense of revenge, whether revenge is good or bad or whatever. But it's like, hey, I'm going to revenge my my narrative or my name of you slandered it. You didn't believe in me. I'm going to prove you wrong. We have Star Wars to thank for that, Isaac. Um, like I said, this is the second part of uh, our draft series. The first part I did with Mike Machine Marshall the other day where we talked about nine of the top 10-ish guys. I guess everybody's big board is different and a lot of things change over time. There's risers and fallers and stuff, but the guys that we talked about in the last episode in no particular order, Cade Cunningham, 
Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, Scotty Barnes, Keon Johnson, Franz Wagner, and Davion Mitchell. I believe that's nine names, and I'm not forgetting anybody, but those are the guys that we talked about. Definitely go check that episode out after this one or before this one, uh, if you haven't yet, where we talk about the guys at the top of the draft. Today, Isaac and I are going to talk about um, 10 guys who some of them are in some draft people's top 10 already. Like some have risen in there, some have been in there. Um, some are ranked in like the low 20s, high 20s, like even in the 30s. But these are just 10 guys that could be around in between, say, like 10 to 15 to like 30 to 35. Because we're still a week away from the draft. We have no idea what the Mavs are going to do. Maybe they trade into the first round. Maybe they trade into the second round or buy a pick or whatever. Maybe they don't do anything. But it is still good uh, to just kind of like talk about some of these guys because we're going to be watching them for, you know, some of them for the next two decades. So we might as well familiarize ourselves with them right now. And also it never hurts to uh, crystallize some takes and put them on the internet so that in seven years, whenever a player that we don't really like right now joins the Mavs, we have to eat our words then and sort of yep. walk back everything that we said about them. Um, so it's kind of like this two-pronged approach. Um, one other thing, Isaac, that I want to promote before we get going here. Well, there's two things, but the first thing is a week from Thursday. So July 29th is draft night and it's very exciting news. We're going to be streaming on Twitch that night from the arena. Uh, and by we, I mean you and me, Isaac, you'll be there. I'll be there. Mike will be there. Um, Kevin Gray from 105.3, the fan will be there. Chuck Cooperstein, might have heard of him. He calls uh, games on ESPN Radio. He will be there. Uh, Austin Garuya, one of the yeah! top Twitter follows on the in the world, especially if you're a Mavs fan. Uh, he'll be there. And then you never know who else is going to show up. We're going to have some press conferences, some interviews that we're going to show as well uh, and carry live. So it's going to be really, really fun. That's going to start around the time that the first pick is made. So be on the lookout for that. That'll be on Twitch. And then also, Isaac, I want you, because you'll be there, um, to talk about what's happening on July 31st. That is the fundraiser for Jonathan Charks at the pub in McKinney. So take it away. Oh, man, so excited for this. If you're a Mavs fan, basketball fan, let's just say human being, and you wanted to come out to a good cause, you want to uh, chat with Bobby and myself about the Mavs, NBA, free agency, anything, July 31st at the pub, McKinney, like Bobby said, 1-4, to four. We're going to be talking all of that. I think Jeff Skin Wade's going to be there. A bunch of other Mavs media personalities will be there. Uh, we're going to do a live Q&A. A lot Your of fun with it. podcast partner will be there too, I hear. Nick Angstead will be there. Uh, man, yeah, I think a lot of different people are going to be there. The new and father of Mavs Twitter, Tim Cato, will be there. <laughs> new father. Uh, Tim Cato. I mean, it's just going to be a lot of fun. And I think, you know, I think a lot of us, sometimes people, Mavs fans have followed content or Mavs over the years and uh, maybe they you've reached out and said, hey, man, can we connect? Can we talk Mavs at a game, whatever? And sometimes I feel bad because I'm like, man, at a game, sometimes we're busy, we're working, we're writing, we're posting stuff. This is the time. Like, show up to this. Let's have some drinks together. All the proceeds, right, one to four. Go to John and his family. John and his wife, uh, his family will be there. I was just talking to John this past week. We're riding in the car talking about how cool this event is going to be uh, on the 31st. So please 
show up. Let's talk some Mavs and offseason and everything. But also, more importantly, we'll support John and his family. Yeah, so proceeds will go to John and his family. There's also a GoFundMe right now. They've raised that last check over, I think, $35,000 on that thing. So it's incredible. Uh, there's some really, really cool stuff going on. Uh, John is um, has been diagnosed with cancer recently, and so he's uh, receiving treatment for that. And, and just any, you know, any money that they can get obviously goes a long way because – Crap is expensive, Isaac, and yeah. uh, there's just a lot, you know, a lot on his plate, obviously, handling his job and his treatment and raising his son and everything with his wife, so there's a whole lot going on, but anyway, it's going to be really fun. You don't got to be there the whole time. You can show up at 1 and leave at 1.30. You can get there at 3.30 and leave at 4. doesn't matter. Um, the place will be open before 1 and after 4, but it's just during that time, that's whenever we're going to be there. We're going to have a little bit of programming. Um, we'll have some round tables. Um, like I said, Nick is going to be there. You might see a live locked on Mavs. You might see numbers on the boards with me and skin. You might see a cross pod collab. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're just gonna be hanging out, having fun, eating, drinking, shooting the breeze, just having a good time talking sports. So, um, let's talk some sports right now, Isaac. What do you say? Oh, I'm ready. I love draft season. I love drafts in general. I just, as cliche as you can make fun of me for saying this, I love seeing dreams come true. And that is very corny, <laughs> but it's wholesome. So I'll, I'll give it to it you. It is. I just I, I am the guy who watches more than more of the NFL draft than what I should. I watch. I normally watch majority of the picks every you know every pick of both rounds in NBA. I just love seeing kids their dreams come true, and so I'm all about the draft. Even though the Mavericks don't have a pick, I'm all about the draft. Every draft too kind of has its own sort of like personality, I guess. And and Mike and I kind of got into this a little bit. Uh, but we were pretty pressed for time. We had a lot to go over, so we didn't get into it too much. But this draft, we've been hearing about it for a very long time. A lot of very talented players on top. Cade Cunningham is, I mean, considered sort of like American Luka, kind of. Like, he's mm. similar style of player, size, and everything. Um, then Evan Mobley is like, is he the next Anthony Davis? Like, there's a lot of big players. Jalen Suggs, like, huge clutch player for Gonzaga and just awesome. Uh, what is what is your opinion overall of this draft whether it's just the top 10 or the whole thing or kind of like what is your what is your sort of main impression main takeaway from this class before we see them on the court yeah I mean I, I think for the longest time as a top five I didn't um the G League Ignite stuff I think that's one of the biggest mystery wild cards of of everything and you know college you can scout as much as you can for sure but like this G League Ignite program is such a new type of thing and to have you know even more than Jalen Green and even more than Jonathan Kaminga you have Isaiah Todd I'm going to talk about Isaiah Todd later on but where how does scouting work with that compared to these college programs to what Cade was doing at OK State what Evan Mobley's doing at USC like all of you know, like Jalen Green, how do you judge that? How do you judge what Kaminga was doing? How do you judge what Isaiah Todd was doing on a different level than those guys? So like Kaminga, he is a wild card for me. I don't know what to fully think of when it comes to Kaminga, but for me it was always a top two. And then like you have some guys off that. I thought I thought Mobley has always been there with Cade Cunningham. I love what Cade brings. But I, I'm a big believer in Mobley. And I tend to – typically, I tend to lean away from, like, bigs. But I think Mobley is an exception of that. I, I think he can be special. I, I don't think the gap between – in my opinion, I don't think the gap between Cade and Evan Mobley is uh, very big. Yeah, I would be – now every team's personnel needs are different and stuff. And Detroit already – you know, they, they have a lot of forwards and a lot of 
bigs on their team as it is right now. So maybe they're tempted to go a different direction. But, man, it would be really hard to watch Evan Mobley and say, I'm going to take anybody else other than that guy, even knowing how good Kate is. Kate is, like, amazing, and I think he's going to have a very, very long career. I think they both are. I think they're – I'm with you. They're kind of, like, the top two, and then everybody else is sort of doing their own thing. Um, But it it is a really talented class, and um, it's kind of weird. There's – I want to do, like – general sort of draft overview kind of state of the draft running down which teams have which picks and like what kind of movement we could see and stuff but it's just really weird this year team like Orlando which is launching a full rebuild with two picks in the top eight Jamal Mosley though state yeah that's right Jamal Mosley I mean he's gonna his hands will be full man they got a bunch of young guys already and they're gonna add two more so that's really cool Um, but then you have Golden State at seven and 14 they're like not rebuilding yeah. they're like trying to win a championship and or get back into the playoffs i guess first but they're trying to do that and then you have teams like new orleans at 10 which is like you're under pressure to like kind of win right now so it just feels like teams at the top are all are in totally different places from you know other teams around them indiana is apparently trying to trade 13 like shocker you got a bunch of teams with like sort of competing agendas conflicting agendas at the top so i have no idea what it's going to look like um, so it feels like even though there's a lot of talented players, there are kind of like tiers still, but feels like this is a year where a lot of wacky stuff could happen yeah. at the top with like reaches or uh, sort of, you know, trade down, trade down, trade down because you got the one guy, maybe a guy like Usman Garuba that we're about to talk about later. Maybe he goes in the top like five and just shocks us mm. all. Um, but we'll see. I feel like it's going to be really interesting. So I'm looking forward to uh, to covering the draft on Thursday. It's going to be a good time. But um, all right. Without further ado, Isaac, you got five guys. I got five guys. Let's spend like three to five minutes talking about uh, each one, one at a time, kind of overall thoughts on their game, and uh, quirks about them and, and, and see where it goes. Well, let's just continue on that conversation. I was, I was about to butt in like, all right, I just want to let's continue. Who's going to be the surprise guy who could go up top five in this top 10 right now? And James Booknight. This guy, I was – so, okay, full disclosure. Every year I try to find one guy outside the top 10 in the pre-draft process, and I'm not I'm not the, hey, I've spent all year on the draft stuff. Like, go out and read some of these guys who literally cover the draft and prospects all the time, full-time. That's their job. So, first off, go read those guys. I am the classic, let me parachute in. I watch and I keep track of stuff throughout the year. But I parachute in really, really hard over the past like month, the month leading up to the draft, and really do a lot of studying. And Book Night was my guy. Like I try to pick one guy outside the top ten that I think is like could really, after it's all said and done, can move up. And in the past, like Donovan Mitchell was a guy that you were that, standing yes. really hard for that year. Yes, Donovan Mitchell was was my guy uh, mainly because he went to Louisville. I watched a lot of Louisville basketball, being from Kentucky. And like I love Mikael Bridges, I was all about him. I was like, too, let's man. take him top God, five. I like I think I was all about him. I was also all about Lonnie Walker too, and you know, not the same as Mikael Bridges, but still. So I, I try to, and even Charks was kidding me this past week. He said, "You like these explosive guard type of players, don't you?" And I was like, "I do." There's just something about trying to find the right ones that I think will work. So I've been about Book Night, and I thought he had he has that like it factor. And now over these past two weeks, I mean, I just read a mock draft today on The Athletic by Sam Vecini, who does great work, who had him like going seventh overall to Golden State. And now 
I mean, he apparently, so James Bucknight, 20 years old, 6'4", UConn, explosive scoring guard. And now he has this like pro day workout back, like, I guess it was like last week, maybe two weeks ago. And it just like set the league like ablaze, okay? Because then everybody was talking about this workout because the biggest thing with him is his three-point shooting. Is like what what type of three-point shooter will he be? He's a super explosive, amazing scorer of the basketball. One of the best games to go watch was go, go watch, go to YouTube, go to find the full game, watch his full game against Creighton. He puts up 40 points against Creighton. And he pulls off some of these moves against like – you, I don't see how you can watch him pull off some of these moves and say, wow, like you have the it factor in that. But that's for me, he's like, he's my guy. He shot 62% around the basket. He's like for his size, when he gets to the bucket, Six four, that's really good. Exactly. Really, really yeah. good. His problem is just consistent shooting from the outside because he shot it. And this is the big thing. 30% from three last year. And you're like, all right. The big thing for him is what do you believe when it comes to his outside shooting? Do you think he can be a Donovan Mitchell type of player in the league to where he can shoot the ball consistently from three? Or is he just a drive guy? Are people just going to leave him open? I'm a believer in a shot. I think it will translate. I think that will be just fine. He's explosive. He's so much fun. He averaged almost six rebounds a game at 6'4", as the primary ball handler for UConn and I'm I'm just all about him. I, he is my now. It's not even like a hottish take, or we want to do it. It's not even because a lot of people have him like in the lottery now. Some people have him top ten, but this is my guy. I'm a huge believer in James Booknight. That is a such a common theme throughout this entire draft is <clears throat> big time athlete, really talented scorer, but the three ball is just mm -hmm. not there. I mean, there's so many guys that are like that or just like maybe not even talented scorer but really good at this but the shot yeah just isn't there and it's just very strange how like i don't know i mean i know it takes a very long time to master stuff you know a lot of guys don't become knockdown shooter even when they're good shooters in college it doesn't translate to the pros right away like it's a thing that takes a lot of time but that's a hole in so many of these guys' games but if you're good if you're that good at other stuff yeah like if you are a walking bucket then someone will take a chance on you, especially in the top of the draft, if you're not in the top five. Because, like, the difference between the sixth pick and the 11th pick, historically, I'm sure that there is a gap, but it's probably not as wide as the gap between, like, one and five. So if you're between six and 11, like, do you want to take a safe guy or do you want to, like, go for broke, yeah. you know? And getting a guy that can come in and score 40 and be Roddy B for you, like that's Roddy B. pretty, it's pretty sexy. You yeah. Know? And he, he shot 80% from the free throw line. You know, some of these guys, when I see their three point percentage and it's kind of lower, I'm like, all right, what are you shooting for the free throw line? Like, it's not the end all tell all of it, but it's like, all right, you shoot 80% from the free throw line. Can you get that? And he, he did have to like take on a lot of the scoring load at UConn, but when he didn't have the ball, he moves really, really well off the ball. He's a great cutter. I'm just all about it. I would personally take him over Davion Mitchell. Uh, I would take him. I would take him top ten. If I'm a, if I'm a team five to ten in the lottery, I'm really looking at Book Knight. I think he can be special. He also has a really cool name, and yeah. it's spelled really cool too. Yeah, it looks like almost like Boo Knight, kind of like B O U. Yeah, uh, really cool name, and that that counts for something. Oh, of course, um, it does. 
Um, okay, so like I was saying, shooting is kind of a hole in a lot of people's games, but the first two guys I want to talk about are shooters, and that is pretty much what they do. They're just shooters. Uh, so the first guy I got, another guy that has climbed up a lot lately and that could be sort of a surprise lottery pick because he's such a good shooter, Chris Duarte out of Oregon, um, 6'6", 190, uh, six seven wingspan. Uh, he's 24 years old, Isaac, which is <laughs> very old for a rookie. But he's older than this Brunson. Is big, this is, this isn't a big but. You and I are kind of on the same page too. Where it's like it doesn't matter how old you are if you're good, you're good. Yeah. But if you're projecting like long term growth and stuff, historically speaking, you know, you don't get as better from 24 to 28 as you do from 20 to 24. Like is where you make more like kind of rapid huge strides. So maybe he kind of is what he is, and that's okay because what he is right now is very good. Uh, 17 points a game at Oregon this past season. Uh, 53 from the field, 42 from three, 81 from the free throw line. So just mm. hyper-efficient player uh, in a very, very fun Oregon offense to watch. They played really, really fun brand of basketball, a lot of shooting, a lot of spacing. Uh, he was all Pac-12, all Pac-12 defense, um, and he was the Jerry West Award winner, which is a shooting guard of the year. Um, Big-time shooter. So shot 50% on no dribble spot-ups, uh, shot 44.4% on dribble jumpers. A lot of those are threes and long twos, so that's really good. Coming off screens, shot 45.2%, uh, and he can attack closeouts, so when he drove right off of a spot-up, scored 1.412 points per possession. So this dude is a shooter, commands your respect, but if you commit too much to the closeout, he can put it on the floor and make some plays. Uh, he can facilitate a little bit, too. He's not going to do that in the NBA, though. I mean, he's going to play, you know, catch-and-shoot guard, not maybe like a Clay Thompson, Reggie Miller type where you're going to like construct your whole offense around getting him open looks, but to bring a dead eye shooter in off the bench or in your starting lineup or whatever, it's like just, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. Um, and then defensively, you know, he does kind of project obviously as a three and D guy being packed 12 all defense. I don't think he's going to defend ones and he's only what, like I said, 190 pounds. So it's not like he's going to switch off and guard like big fours or fives or anything. Uh, but he can defend threes, he can defend you know some small fours, can defend some twos, so he can kind of be this switchable wing, which is really important off the bench, and we saw too in the playoffs, man, like seven-footers just don't play in the playoffs unless you're really, really, really good. I mean, the Clippers were playing Nick Batum at center, Markeith Morris, or Marcus Morris at center. Um, I mean, Andre Drummond, like for the Lakers, wasn't playing in the games. Like Clint Capella for the Hawks was in there, but like sometimes not at the end of games, and this is like going late into the, into the playoff. Like DeAndre Ayton was struggling at times because it's like, wait, I got to defend Giannis now? Like, what is this? So it's just weird. So it never hurts to have another wing who yeah. can come in off the bench if guys get in foul trouble or it can give you a more switchable lineup and can knock down threes. So I think that's a big reason why he's climbing so much. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure their games are very similar at all, but look at what happened with Cam Johnson from Phoenix a couple years ago yeah. where on draft night, like, this guy – gets taken what 11th overall or something out of freaking nowhere and it's because he can knock down a jump shot you know so if I think you know book Knight being a big time scorer Duarte being a big time shooter if you're really 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 good at something then sometimes teams will reach a little bit for you because they want to acquire that skill. yeah Duarte is one I I become the sucker for older players in drafts and even though the odds are not in my favor when it comes to that uh, like I love Mikel Bridges. I like Cam Johnson. He's a Carolina guy. I, I really, really liked Brandon Clark. And it's like I 
it's some of my frustration when it comes to draft stuff that I get, I get all the math on it of, all right, well, if you're going to draft a guy that's 19 compared to 22, like I get all of that, but I'm like, dang, are we really going to pass up good talent because they're two years older? Like this 19 year old might not ever be as good as what Duarte is right now. It's like, what are we doing? Uh, the thing I like about Duarte, I, I one, I think he, I'm pretty sure he's in the same backcourt with Peyton Pritchard at Oregon back last year. Um, Boston yes. Celtics. Yeah, there. I mean, he Duarte has been there for four years. Yeah, so, so yeah, anybody I mean, that, at Oregon. That's true. With, yeah. um, the thing that I constantly, when I was doing research on him, was just like his energy. And I know we're going to talk about energy and motor when you talk about Garuba, but it's that's what I love about Duarte. And it's like where a guy like Book Knight. I think it's more of a swing for the fence. Like, can Book Knight be like a potential star type of player, like score explosive guard in the league? Yeah, I think that's his ceiling. I don't know if Duarte is going to be like a potential like scoring like big time player for your team, but you have to have guys like him. And you, I was going to talk about Cam Johnson. Look at what Phoenix had, and they made it to the finals. They had Mikel Bridges. They had you know Cam Johnson, even Jay Crowder to an extent. Like these six five to six eight guys who can you know shoot the three. I know Crowder's a little bit more sporadic than the others, but it's like you got to have these type of guys. You got to have like what look exactly what Cam Johnson brought Phoenix and say why can't Duarte be that type of player for a Golden State or whoever it is there in the lottery. So I love Duarte, and I think he's like the perfect. Especially, like, I could understand if you're a young, super rebuilding team and you're debating between, like, Duarte or, like, a guy who's, like, 19 or 20 or something like that. And you're like, all right, well, we're it's we're taking, like, we have a few more years to tour something. But if, like, you're New Orleans or you're Golden State or you're somebody who wants to compete, like, right now, he fits that mo- – and I kind of don't like the whole narrative of, like, oh, he can contribute right now. Like, I think that gets overplayed, when it, especially, like, David Mitchell and, like, some of those guys. But, like, Duarte, I think, can play right now, rookie season, and give you good, solid minutes like Cam Johnson gave Phoenix. Yeah, and, like, the teams that are in between, like, New Orleans at 10, and then it's, like, San Antonio, Indiana's in there, Golden State at 14. Like, there's a lot of teams in that range that are like, yeah, we're not trying to be in the lottery again next year. We already have a ready-made team. We're just, like, an injury or two away from getting in the playoffs. So let's get a guy that can play for us right now, and we'll just be fine. So I, I could see him I could see him fitting in with all those teams. But really shooting fits in anywhere, man. And you can play him without giving up too much on defense. I mean, like, he's gonna work to get open on offense, but he's also gonna work to stay in front of his man on defense too. And that type of energy at both ends of the floor is what is gonna get you drafted yeah. for sure. Love him. In the similar vein, similar type of player, but younger player is my next guy. Arkansas Razorback, Moses Moody. There's a picture on Twitter. If you haven't seen it yet, go to Twitter and you search up Moses Moses Moody and you might have to type in like door frame or there's a picture of Moses Moody standing sideways in a door frame and he has his his arms stretched out and his his fingers are on the floor. His other fingers are like above the door frame. And it's the craziest like picture to look at a wingspan for a guy like that because Mo- Oh my God. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, Whoa. I become a, Dude, what's his So wingspan? his wingspan seven one. He's he's six five. And I I'm not gonna lie, I'm a sucker when it comes to wingspans for guys like <laughs> around the six four. Yeah, dude, I mean, that's plus yeah. eight. That is that's incredible. Huge. This was an, another one of the many reasons. I had a lot of reasons why I love Mikel Bridges, but one of the many reasons I love Mikel Bridges, even the other night in the finals game, Mikel Bridges gets fouled 
in game six, he's going up for a left hand layup, and he stretches that left arm way out and gets fouled. I'm like, that's the wingspan right there, and it helps so much on defense. But Moses Moody, 19, Arkansas, 6'5", 210, 7'1", wingspan, averaged 17 points, 38% from three last year, 81% from the free throw line. He just fits that. He fits that mold. Like everybody is looking for the who's the guy, who's the next three and D guy. And it's like if you if you can have that base as the three and D guy, then it's like all right. Then what can I add to my game? And he was the main guy at Arkansas. Now he's not going to be the main guy in whatever team he goes to in the league. But you're like all right, somebody with those measurements who hit 38 percent from three last year, who can play really good defense both on the ball, off the ball, help defense, everything. That's the type of guy I want. He even added, I was looking at stuff in this pre-draft process, he's added 15 pounds of muscle since then, 40% going back to the 38% shooting from three, 40% on spot-up shots, pretty dang good uh, for him, even though he didn't get a ton of them because he was their main primary scoring option at Arkansas. But his, the only knock on him is he's not like, which nobody is really the Westbrook type of athleticism, but he's not the most explosive type of athlete. Like you get him, you get him the ball and it's like, he's not going to blow you away with his athleticism, but he, he does just enough with that. And I think his measurements, what he shoots being 19, I watched this interview with him and he says, you know, I think a lot of these people just throw out big time names. It's like anytime you hear a prospect say, you know, who do you model your game after? Well, I watch LeBron and I watch KD and I watch, I'm like, and that's cool. Like I, I get it. I get all of that. But the first name he mentions was Chris Middleton and Chris Mid- oh, and wow, Middleton's okay. amazing. I mean, all-star just won a title might win a gold medal too. Like what a year for Chris Middleton. So I, I get that, but it's like Middleton's not really the name you get thrown. Like it's thrown out there a lot when players are saying, Oh, that's who I'm watching right now. And I just thought that was fascinating too, that that's the route he kind of wants to take with that of being this kind of lanky two guard, you know, guy, and he could create his own shots, but I don't think he's going to be asked to do that immediately, I guess, depending on the situation, but I like him. I like him for his size. He's wing spanning, hit the three, the classic three and D type of guy. And he might not be like super explosive or the quickest guy ever, but yeah, you know, he's very slender now. And with that frame and with that wingspan, he's not saying he can swell up to like Giannis dimensions or anything like that, but he can be rugged, you know? Yeah. And if you're going to be, you can be a rugged three or four and be super long, even if you're not very tall, uh, just because you're just thick, you know? Um, and there are a lot of guys that are like six, five, six, 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 seven, that, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt to have a little beef if you're going up against guys like Harden, Luca, you know, LeBron, guys like that. So uh, he's another riser. Like in, I think in that same San Vicini big board, he's like number seven or something. Like he's like, he's yeah. climbing. I know. I've seen his range anywhere from like in the top 10 to 16, 17, somewhere through there. If you don't believe in his athleticism or if you don't think his shot will really translate or something like that. So, his range is kind of in that, like, I would be surprised if he does not go in the top 15. Yeah, me too. I th- I think, I mean, someone that, that tantalizing frame at that age with that amount of talent, like, yeah. I, I think he'll, he'll go. He's going. Um, all right, next, another shooter. This is the last shooter on my list. Oh. Uh, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. Uh, 6'6", 220, 6'8", wingspan. Just a, he's a shooter. He's a, a three-point shooter. Really, really easy-looking jump shot. Um, very easy. Just like you look at guys that shoot, and you're like, that guy's trying really hard. 
<laughs> and then you look at some guys and you're like that guy like barely even like flicked his wrist and it's just a pure swish that's Corey Kispert just very easy um, however shoots it very like kind of low release point so might have to tweak his jump shot a little bit but he can expand all the way out to the NBA range I mean easily last year for Gonzaga 18 and a half points, five boards, shot fi nearly 53 from the field, 44 from three, 88 from the free throw line. Again, just mega efficient, classic Gonzaga guy, dude. Everybody that goes to yeah. Gonzaga is just like a, a points per possession god. Uh, Kispert in uh, four years at Gonzaga shot nearly 41% from three over that four-year span. So last year was easily the best year of his time at Gonzaga. Of course, he's a senior, so he's 22, 23 years old, going up against teenagers, and so maybe that factored into it. But he just knows how to play, man. Everybody at Gonzaga, they got a, they're got they a well-oiled machine on offense. They play super modern basketball, a lot of spacing, a lot of ball movement, a lot of human movement. He's always making very quick decisions with the ball. If it's not there, do I have a dribble you know, uh, do I do I have a, a move to make to get to the basket? If not, keep it moving and then relocate. You know, and uh, if if you cut into a space that's not there, then get out of the way, make room for someone else. Uh, just really smart player, heady player. Again, works on defense. It's not like he just mails it in, but uh, he's not like gonna you know win any athleticism competitions or anything. And so uh, at that size, six six two twenty, not the beefiest guy, not the biggest leap or anything. It's not like he's kind of Pat Connaughton where he can fly in for rebounds or anything like that. Um, you know, I think he's just purely kind of a, a bench shooter. Which yeah. hey, that's fine. You yeah. know. Um, that is fine. Shooting depth is always welcome in the NBA. And again, he's gonna he's gonna try. Like it's not like he's just like mails it in on defense. There's a lot of guys that'll do that in the NBA. They just don't care. Like he will work on defense, um, and he will work on offense. He's not just gonna stand in the corner with his hands up waiting for the ball. Like he'll actually try and you know be involved in the play and stuff. And so um, super high IQ, super great jump shot, um, energy guy, effort guy, and everything. But you know. Kind of questions about his athleticism, I guess, which is really kind of the the main thing, and also age too. You know, mm. twenty two, twenty three years old, a little older. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a just, it's really fun, man. After watching so many guys, and I do this every year. It's not just complaints about specific guys in this class, but a lot of guys that don't know how to shoot, and yeah. then you watch a couple guys that do know how to shoot, and it's just delightful. <laughs> it's like Joe Harris reincarnate, right? I mean. I uh, similar. I mean, it feels like Joe Harris is a better defender than yeah people give him credit for. I'm, you know? I'm not gonna lie, Kispert uh, soured on me in the title game. Seeing him go against Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and just that super athletic, yeah. just gritty, like man, we're just gonna beat you with athleticism in that title game. And I'm like, oh dang, Kispert, this is not what you need going into a draft, but. But it, yeah. his shooting is – I mean, you can never have enough shooting on any NBA team, right? And it's like every NBA team wants shooter, you know, a shooter. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you think of like – I guess guys around the league, you think of like bench shooters like Furkan Korkmaz, mm -hmm. you know, Ryan Brokoff was with the Mavs for a few, a couple years and then went to the Philly. You know, there's like – there's guys, you know, Anthony Simons. Like, I mean, Korver's stuck in the league the for how long, right? I mean – you said you know, what? Kyle Corver. I mean, he was in the league for how long? Oh yeah, Corver. Yeah. Now, I mean, Corver and like McDermott and JJ Redick are like <laughs> basically all-time movement movement yeah. shooters. I don't know if Kispert is like going to be flying around screens, but he can catch and shoot, and there will always be a place in the NBA for guys that can catch yeah. and shoot. Always, always, always. See, I haven't watched enough tape on him to know if he's a good off-ball guy. 
That's the thing about shooters, like you said. It's like watch them off the ball. Watch Steph Curry off the ball. Like it's fascinating to me to see these guys, how JJ Reddick moves off the ball. Anyway. Um, okay, next guy for me. <laughs> One of the most polarizing guys for me. I'm so intrigued. I've seen people say that, man, he is rising up to like mid lottery uh, or like mid first round. I've seen people have him as a second round flyer. Okay. Jonathan Charks got me on like this whole rabbit trail, rabbit hole, looking at Isaiah Todd. If you spend too much time (laughs) on guys that John loves, like you will run out of time very quickly (laughs) and you will be super confused like three years later. Well, he loves Kai Jones, so he's all about Kai Jones. But okay, so Isaiah Todd, 19 years old, 6'9, 220, and 220 now. He wasn't that in the pre draft process, but he's put on some weight. Going back for him, five star recruit in high school. He was 15th overall in ESPN's top 100 in this class. He had his last, his top five that he had offers for that he was debating on before he went to the G League Ignite was Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, Michigan, and Memphis. Ends Not up committing, dude. Not I know. Bad. I mean, literally, it's like the top schools there. I think he ended up committing to Michigan, backed out of that, said, hey, I'm going to go play for the G League Ignite team. He joins us. I hate that guy. <laughs> he would have been a legend for you. And right behind Trey Burke. And so he goes to the Ignite team. And immediately he has to play behind Jalen Green, who was number one in ESPN's top 100 above Cade and the other guys, Mobley. And he has to play behind Kaminga. There's some other guys on the team too. And now it's like, okay, well, what type of guy is he? Like, this is the type of, it it kind of, it's kind of like reminiscent of the like Kentucky teams that have like all these guys on there. And like, well, how do you, how do you judge these guys properly? Like how many of these Kentucky guys have came out in the draft and you're like, well, how good are they? You had so many high you know, profile recruits come in, like even Keldon Johnson. I love Keldon Johnson. Look what the spark he's given for Team USA after one exhibition game. It's like there's smaller guys like that from Kentucky quickly. Tyrese Maxey, these guys that go to Kentucky and they're surrounded by all these recruits. And it's like, well, how do you really judge these guys? And I think Isaiah Todd's kind of in that similar vein for me because you watch him and some of the things he does and I'm like, okay, like, that's really impressive. You make some dumb decisions, but when it's right, it looks really special. And 36% from three, unguarded catch and shoot for his size, 6'9, six, 6'10, six, super fluid. Like, just what, like, even if you don't want a, a deep dive, Isaiah Todd, and you're like, okay, this is like, I'm not that much in the draft stuff. Just go do the simple thing that the Bill Simmons of the world does. Just go to YouTube and type in Isaiah Todd and say, hey, let's look at his top plays from the Ignite season. There's a game he put up 24 in. Go watch some of those highlights. And you can watch his movements, watch his feel, and you're like, well, dang it. How is this dude at 6'10"? He can, I mean, he did like a legit like one foot look so smooth, dirt type of fade. What is this? Like, how does that look so smooth for you? I love his athleticism. I think he's like, he's feisty on defense, but he's super skinny, right? I mean, he just put on weight to get to 220. A lot of people complain about his like finishing for his size and the paint. It's like, he's so skinny, just gets pushed around. He can't finish over guys. But I'm not even saying this from a stance of like, I'm all in on Isaiah Todd. I just want to talk about him because he's so polarizing to me. Like, there's a world that somebody, I look at him and I see somebody, and honestly, it's Zyra Williams, I'll talk about it a little bit, but like, 
I look at him and think of like Jaden McDaniels last year who went to Minnesota and he was like this kind of in a similar vein of like, man, he's got the size. He's got the like offensive package. He's got the tools for an NBA player, but like, can he put it together and the spot and fit means so much. So I'm just, I'm so intrigued at Isaiah Todd. And I, I think he should be a first rounder. I'll say that, but how high he goes in the draft. Like if somebody swings for him in the late lottery at like 12 to 14, I'm not shocked on next thir- like next Thursday. I'm not shocked at all. I will be shocked if he goes to the second round. So with you now being the Isaiah Todd expert on the pod, <laughs> I was told by someone very, very close to, uh, oh, to me, whose opinion I respect, I don't want to name him, but he described Isaiah Todd as a young Charlie V. Is that true or is that maybe a stretch? See, I okay. I will say I I'm not Charlie V's younger days are not at the forefront of my my brain right now. So I I want to say he's a more fluid of an athlete than Charlie V. Okay, so dude, Charlie could get up, man. He was he could, yeah. He UConn, was, he was quite an yeah. athlete in his day, but uh, I love Charlie V. So <laughs> I'm I'm all in on Isaiah Todd. Yes, I I'm just I'm so intrigued with him and. It, it's gonna. I think it'll take a little bit. I don't think you're asking him to come in and say play some minutes for us right now, but I think if you're a team, especially if you're a team who has multiple picks in, in the first round, I'm definitely taking Isaiah Todd because the upside on there, like his upside and his ceiling, there's not a roof. Okay, there. I think it's higher than some of these other guys out there. Take that, MJ. I think one thing that a, a lot of the G League Ignite guys have in common, and I guess, I mean, this is true for like a lot of players in general coming into the draft, but because the G League season was so condensed, is a lot of those guys, Jalen Green probably excluded, could really benefit from another season just playing in the G League. You yeah. Know? Um, like even Kaminga, who's going to almost certainly be a top seven, top ten pick. Um just getting a year down there where you can just play a ton of minutes and a ton of games, really work out any of the sort of the, the raw elements um, because you just don't have as many minutes. Now, the college season was condensed too, so it's not like one and done's in college, you know, have it too much better. But these guys only played like a dozen games, you know, yeah. and they weren't playing too many minutes. So Against grown men, good, Jared but. Jack. <laughs> yeah, well, dude, Jared Jack is closing games and, like, taking over late, and they're running the triangle. It's very strange. But, I, again, you know, I want to reemphasize this. I did it on the first one, too, is, like, I love the concept of G League Ignite. Yeah. I love the idea of it. I think if players want to not go to college and they want to make money and play pro ball when they're 18 or 17 even, that's awesome. They For have sure. every right yeah. to do that. That is great. Um, but I'm very interested to see kind of how this sort of – the the program develops in the years to come because it is kind of it's just a it's it's different you know yeah different with a snorting emoji different <laughs> snorting yeah for sure um all right next up i got three overseas guys isaac oh. um let's go let's go to garuba i want to talk about usman garuba is that cool oh please do all right i love so this guy. usman garuba wing out of real madrid six eight two thirty that might be 230 might be low 72 wingspan dude is built like a freaking truck yeah um he is going to play in the olympics for spain and spain is going to play slovenia so we might see uh, some real madrid on real madrid crime as usman tries to slow down luca uh very very young guy 
He uh, was named EuroLeague Rising Star, which is an award that Luca won while he was with Real Madrid. So his per-game numbers, because he's coming off the bench, you know, not playing too many minutes, per-game numbers are pretty modest, four points, four boards, uh, 50 from the floor, 27 from three, 62 from the free throw line. Those are his EuroLeague numbers. Slightly better numbers than domestic competition, but again, EuroLeague is better, you know, opponents and all that stuff. So it's it's cool to kind of look at those. Um, body type is he is like Luca, dude. He is just a large, just a a voluminous, like massive person, um, an absolute tank. And he is a as much as like Corey Kispert is like offense. Garuba is defense. Like that is his thing. He is an absolute monster on defense. Um, the way that Luke is able to use his size and strength to fend guys off on offense, Garub is able to just swallow guys on defense. Like people try and get around him. They can't, they try and go through him. They can't, he'll come out of nowhere to block a shot. And then it's off to the races the other way, you know, within the half court, especially from behind the three point line, major work in progress, but in the open floor, he's able to make a lot of plays just getting up and down the court. Um, really 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 big time defender and at his age he's only what 19 20 years old a lot of times guys are good on defense because of just like effort and not because of like technique but he's got technique man moves his feet can stay in front of guys has really good instincts um on the ball for making plays steals blocks things like that contesting shots it's a really really big time defender um i guess uh, aside from i mean teams just like left him open from three very much like NBA playoff kind of defensive style against him. Just like let him shoot if he wants to. Um, so And that'll carry over to the NBA. So, you know, that's something that he's got to work on with time. Um, the only other, I guess, complaint or criticism or whatever is um, he kind of is like a little heavy-footed maybe. Um, just so it like I, – I don't even know if that even makes sense. But heavy-footed, I guess, just like not the most explosive, not the quickest, just like – I don't know. He's like a tank, and so it takes him a little while to get going. Kind of like PJ Tucker. Like, it's just a mm. lot of there's a lot of guy in that body, and so sometimes it can it can it takes a little work to to get him moving. But um, man, I mean, if he develops a shot, or if he can kind of be like any type of I don't know, like almost center impersonator on offense, or even if just a corner three like PJ Tucker, then dude, he could be a really really intriguing player because I mean, he is a huge guy and he is a just a a menacing menacing defender but on the flip side if it doesn't work out like look at like Sekou Dumbuya for example with the Pistons um there's been a million you know Justin Anderson uh very similar although he's I guess a bigger bigger leaper Iteago uh yeah Iteago but I mean I, Anderson is a really good comp actually because very similar body type and everything I guess Justin was a little more chiseled he was a little older whenever he came in but it's kind of the same thing you could be a, a major major impact defender but without the three ball I mean it's just really tough so um yeah but I mean he's another guy that's kind of like he was like low first round maybe even second round and then as the season went on just kept playing well kept playing well and now all of a sudden I mean he's like could be a lottery pick but really really intriguing talent and to be able to defend at that level in the euro league where you're making like like stars look like clowns i mean his blocks are like yeah whoa like i'm watching him today and i'm like mike come over here like right now like watch what i just saw like it is like eye-popping how good he is on defense i love players that you can't forget that they're on the floor because they just like you 
there's ne- never a sequence that goes like multiple possessions or like a few minutes of gameplay that you forget they're on the floor. And he's one of those dudes like his, his motor, his energy. I know motor gets thrown around a lot when it comes to like players or draft prospects, but like literally he has the motor and I love players who just move nonstop. I love his energy. He's actually the youngest player to ever start for real Madrid, even ahead younger of Luca. Than Luca. younger than Luca in that. Wow. Yeah. First name is Destiny. Shout out. Let's go. Sweet first name of that. But and Garuba's uh, an awesome last name too. I know. I just I just love this guy. And I mean, yeah, I, no shot puts a ceiling on, you know, where he is. But man, if he can just develop it, like can he get to anywhere like what like look at I know you mentioned PJ Tucker, but it's like look what PJ Tucker brought to Milwaukee. It's like, can he just get like serviceable from like a corner three? <laughs> it like could OG that, on an OB. I mean, it, it, took yeah. him, it took him a few years. Now, OG's a very good shooter now, no, but at OG. first he wasn't. Yeah. So, I mean, if, can he be that kind of show that kind of signs of improvement? Yeah. And seeing what, like, just seeing in the few minutes, you know, he got more than a few minutes against USA in that last exhibition game, but seeing him play against those guys who are like, oh, he belongs. Like, that, I'm excited for him. I'm so intrigued where he goes fit it always it matters for every prospect but i think for him a solid fit like where he goes could mean so much if he goes to the right fit it's going to be like how did this guy like not go higher up or he could go to the worst fit and you're like he hardly ever plays because he can't shoot and you're like what's going on but i i love him yeah dude he is it's it's gonna be an interesting case study like i mean i guess there are guys kind of like this almost every year but like it feels like if you're all offense and no defense, it's easier to play right away than if you're all defense and no offense. You yeah. Know? Uh, so you got it. You got to be able to contribute something, and hopefully he can, because, dude, he is just a he is so much fun to watch. Yeah, I love him. Um, okay, so this is my favorite guy at the end of the first round type of range. Uh, Io Dosamu. I love this guy. Twenty one. Illinois. Illinois is one of the best teams in college basketball last year. He was the main guy for Illinois. They were number one seed. They actually had the second best odds to win the title outside of Gonzaga last year. And he was the main guy for them. 6'4", 6'10", wingspan. Great wingspan for his size. 195 pounds. He averaged 20 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists a game. 39% from 3. Just three threes a game, but still 50% on field goals on over 15 shots a game. That's not... Dude, in college, that is crazy. Yes, I was going to say, that's <laughs> that's not an easy thing to do, especially in, in college. He was a finalist for the Wooden Award last year. He was literally one of the best players in college basketball. He's 21, so obviously he's a little bit older when it comes to that, but I love who he is. Like, when you... This is when I... Uh, the part of, like, pre-draft stuff. I love seeing what people people who actually do this for a full-time living and put out these draft things and they go and talk to all these people and they're in these gyms and talking to the coaching staffs. I love seeing the high character guys. And he's one of those dudes. He's an Excel uh, sports agency guy. Uh, He is from Chicago. Uh, So if there's any executives around the league that are from Chicago that have Chicago connections uh, that, you know, that would be cool too. Um, I just love this guy. Like I said, he was a finalist for Wooden Award. He had two triple doubles last year, which is not e- not easy thing to do in college basketball. He's a great defender. It's just for a lot of people, kind of similar to the Moses Moody thing. 
It's his athleticism. It's the, hey, can you go? I mean, he averaged 20 points a game in college, but it's the, can you be, like, what are you? That's one of the questions, too, is like, he didn't have, like, his sample size of playing off the ball, very, very small. To where a guy like Moses Moody, he actually went off screens and he, he played off the ball some. To where a guy like, you know, Io, he had the ball a ton. He was the main source of their offense for at Illinois. He did it well, but still, it's like, can he play off the ball? And if he can't play off the ball, if he's a primary like guy, is he good enough? Is he quick enough? Is he fast enough to be a point guard in the league? That's some of the questions that are thrown out there. But like, he's super high character guy. I think he's gonna be a great defender. He has that wingspan, the 16, 6'10 wingspan. I'm all about him. He's he's my favorite late first round guy. And yeah, sign me up for him. That is kind of like the big question. That's a question about the next guy I'm gonna talk about too, but um if you if you have to play on the ball are you good enough at stuff to warrant backup point guard minutes or even starting guard minutes depending on you know where you're taking and stuff um given that there are so many point guards <laughs> like yeah. there are so many free agent point guards all the time um point guard it, it feels like i mean the elite of the elite are the elite for a reason but it feels like backup point guard is almost like, you know, second wide receiver in the NFL. Like, there's always great wide receiver. There's always running backs. You can always go find yeah. depth at cornerback. Like, there are just some things where, like, the you, maybe not quality, but, like, good enough. If you're trying to pay someone the minimum because you're paying three starters the max, then, like, are you going to give those minutes to a rookie or are you going to go sign some vet for the vet minimum? Like, Mike Campaign, James. for example. What? Mike James, like yeah, Brooklyn like Mike signed James. Mike. <laughs> campaign was yeah. great in the playoffs. Reggie Jackson got the minimum for the Clippers. Like Jalen Brunson this year, obviously, you know, second round contract. But uh, you know, there's a ton. Like in in uh, Denver, like Monty Morris, like these guys are yeah. great whenever you're not paying them anything. But then when it comes time to pay them a lot of money, then it's like it's is gonna be weird. Um, like I'm already not looking forward to the conversation with fans whenever Jalen has like two bad weeks and is getting paid $9 million a year or whatever. And they're like, and it's just like, oh, I mean, he's still really good. Like he's just having yeah. a bad time. But like whenever you play like a position that feels very replaceable, then you have to be awesome to warrant that spot, you know, especially if you're making a lot of money. So I, I don't know. It is kind of weird. Like if you're going to use a first round draft pick on a guy, he better be really good at backup point guard because you're going to be paying him quite a bit, like above average yeah. for what he's you know for the minutes he's playing for sure and it's like Brunson's one of those guys too to where I mean obviously you know Io didn't you know win multiple national championships but it's one of, the, one of these situations where like a wooden ward finalist 20 points like 26 and 5 like one of the best teams in college basketball he's 21 like it's a similar Brunson type of vibe but like does he have the athleticism you know to do all this so uh, high character guy similar to Brunson so I I'm a sucker when it comes to guys like Brunson I thought Brunson should have went higher in the draft and uh I, I'm a believer in Io yeah I mean, it's a complete joke that Jalen was the last guy drafted from that Villanova team like a yeah. complete and utter joke and so if there are similarities like it is kind of different too because sometimes you have teams at the bottom of the first round that like want to take stash guys so like some yeah. guys will fall to the top of the second. So, like, in that range feels about right for that kind of player, you know? For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so moving on to my version of that um, is Rokas Hokubaitis. 
and now yeah. it's spelled with a J. I watched videos hearing him say his name, and he pronounced it like Hokubitis, but we Americans are idiots, and also this is a very generic, like very classic white guy saying like, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm going to try, but I'm sure we're going to end up pronouncing it Yokubitis, but he pronounced it Hokubitis, uh, guard from Jalgiris, which is uh, one of the best, if not the best, Lithuanian teams. Um, 6'4", 190, wingspan is unknown, but uh, he also played for the Lithuanian team against Slovenia. Um, oh. He was he was playing in that game. Uh, this season in the EuroLeague, we just talked about Usman Garuba, who won EuroLeague Rising Star. Uh, well, Hokobaitis finished second in uh, EuroLeague Rising Star. Uh, he averaged seven points, two and a half assists, almost two rebounds uh, in EuroLeague. Shot 45, 39, 75. Those were his splits. Um, left-handed, um, 6'4", 190. Good size for a point guard, and given the range in the draft that he's projected to go in. So is Isaac Dragic? He actually reminds me a lot of Jalen Brunson. Oh, really? <laughs> like, watching his game, yeah, there's a lot of, like, stop-start, herky-jerk, sort of, like, very, like, powerful, quick, tight dribble moves, um, spinning to get where he's going, loves pulling up from, like, 15 to 18 feet on the elbow, um, the left-handed jump shot obviously helps those comparisons a lot, but very sort of like creative finisher on the rim. Jalen finishes a lot of weird-looking layups. Um, you know, Rokas does a lot of that stuff too. Um, not a huge leaper um, or the fastest guy, and so oftentimes what he's doing is finding really sort of like creative angles to finish or is just using his strength to kind of fend off um, smaller guys. So very, very similar to Jalen. Um draws some comparisons to Goran Dragic too but I feel like Dragic is a little more dynamic as a younger guy so maybe like older Dragic I could see some similarities there but this he's guy bigger, is he's bigger than Dragic right you said what he's bigger than Dragic right uh taller I'm, okay. I'm sure probably probably weighs more too hmm. um but yeah a little taller I think Goran's like 6'2 um but yeah 6'4 I mean this guy's like legitimately like big uh I, taller than Jalen I think Jalen's only what 6'3 I think um Really, really good passer. Really good passer. Uh, his passes out of the pick and roll create a 1.348 points per possessions, which is really, really good. And he, sp uh, he split it about equally between finding shooters and finding roll men. And whenever he would find roll men, like really good lob passer, like really good sort of um, kind of pace and rhythm in the pick and roll to allow the roll man time to get to the rim. Just like really just like knows how to play. Really smart really like good pace to his game again very similar to Jalen Brunson like it felt like I was watching Jalen when I was watching this guy I really really admire his game um but everything is like a pretty small sample size with him because he was coming off the bench um and when he was on the floor a lot of the times he was playing off the ball uh he wasn't kind of like the primary sort of point guard and so uh he can catch and shoot like he could um his shot is kind of weird. It's like a set shot almost. Like he doesn't really jump when he shoots. I guess kind of similar to Goran. Goran doesn't really jump when he shoots, but um, doesn't have too much lift or anything. And so it's kind of like okay, you know, if you if you have to work really hard to create space for yourself to shoot, then are we going to give you the keys because it's going to take you five seconds to do something that it would take some guys two seconds to do? You know, um, so that's kind of the question. And also, like again, you know, with can you consistently be point guard? Or were you only good in small doses because you were playing off the ball, you were able to apply yourself? So it's kind of like the same thing that we were talking about um, uh, just now, which is like, are you good enough to be the backup point guard uh, mm -hmm. and to take that job? 
or you know what's your deal so some people think because I, I believe he's being pursued right now by like barcelona and some of the really really big teams so some people think he might stay overseas for a year or two uh or come over here and play right away but i think maybe playing one more year and getting a little more time on the ball could do him some good uh just to kind of get him used uh used to it and, and ready for the nba but I mean, dude, this guy knows how to play. He knows how to play basketball and knows how to make plays for himself and for others. Uh, and that is a very, very valuable skill if you're going to be point guard. So Lithuania had Sabonis and him, <clears throat> and him, two lefties in there. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Let's go. That's a, a lot of lefties on that team, man. That's two lefties. See, so I haven't, I haven't did a lot of research on him. You texted me about him today. I've seen his, you know, name on some of these big boards or mic drafts or whatever, and. I just haven't got to dive into him, so I enjoyed I'm, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts once you do, because, like, literally, dude, I mean, I see every player comp for every player in the draft, and, like, oh, we have a European left-handed point guard. He's probably Goran Dragic. Uh, yeah. He's like Thomas Shadaransky, who's not left-handed, but is kind of the same thing, big-bodied one. I looked at him, and the first thing I thought of was Jalen Brunson. And maybe it was because of the first thing I saw was him pulling up from 17 feet. But I was like, dude, this guy, he's literally Jalen. Like, it is like looking into a alternate reality where Jalen was born in Lithuania. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to be all about him. So I'm, I'm going to go. This is my homework now over the next few days is to look up this guy. Okay, my last guy. He, This is kind of Isaiah Todd range of I'm just I'm fascinated to see what happens to him. Zyra Williams, Stanford, 19 years old, 6'8". 190, 611 wingspan. So I referenced the ESPN top 100 a little bit ago. This is the recruiting ranks going into college, coming out of high school. This was, I just want to read to you the names to give you a sense of like how accurate, especially this was, you know, looking at where we're at now. Um, coming out of high school, Jalen Green was number one in this class, Kate Cunningham. Number three was Evan Mobley. Number four, Jonathan Kaminga. Number five, Scotty Barnes. Number six, Jalen Suggs. Pretty dang accurate on, and it's not always like that, right? There's always a few outliers in those in the top five, top six, coming out of high school that you're like, all right, what happened to him going into uh, the NBA? All right, so that was top six. Number seven was BJ Boston, which we're going to leave that whole situation. Number eight, Zaire Williams. This Zaire Williams in this draft class was going into college, the number eighth ranked prospect in high school and he goes to Stanford. This was like Zaire Williams. As far as five-star guy, he was named by LA times player of the year in California. He was a McDonald's all American Nike hoop summit honorees, a Jordan brand classic selection. He was a member of team USA 19 world cup team. He actually played minutes in that won the world cup in Greece in 2019. He was a top 10 player in the recruiting class. The whole time he had offers UCLA. I'm saying all of this, because it was just a little over a year ago, this dude was literally one of the best dudes in the whole class. Six eight guy, like the prototypical guy that you watch and you say, okay, you're six eight, you're super athletic, you're super fun, you could score the basketball, you're literally like one of the best high school players in the whole state of California. But then you go to Stanford and you have a year that like if you could just not watch tape and watch games and what happened at Stanford and just go from the high school to, to the NBA, you're like, all right, this guy's a top 10 pick. So what then, happened? 
Well, there was a lot of stuff at Stanford that played into it that you don't want to do the excuse, but there was a lot of stuff. Like they, they spent six weeks living in a hotel, the whole Stanford basketball team during the season. He had a death in the family that where he had to leave the team and he was gone for a bit and came back and really wasn't the same after that. It was the COVID season. It was a weird fit. He had offensively, it was a weird fit for him at Stanford. It was just like you especially when you hear people who've really dove into the draft, like this is the, the whole high school versus college, the high school tape of Zyra Williams and how much he was hyped and how awesome he was. And then bam, there's this Stanford tape of like, and factoring in everything that happened, his like crazy roller coaster season at Stanford. And you're like, well, dang, how much, like, what do you believe? And I think that's why I wanted to at least throw him out there I watched this whole interview you did with Mike Schmitz. I thought it was like super fascinating too because one, he's a Stanford guy. Stanford, I mean, Dwight Powell, Tyrell Terry. We have two of those guys on the Mavericks. And he was, I mean, he's sitting there just answering all these questions to him. He talked about how soccer was his favorite, you know, was his first sport growing up. I love when basketball players say soccer was their best sport because footwork and everything. Josh Reeves, shout out, man. <laughs> Let's go. He talked about how his dad like never let him, even though he was always one of the tallest players, his dad never let him play center. And he was like, son, you're not going to play center when it comes to like, when you go on further in your basketball career, I don't. So he always worked on his perimeter skills. Now there's highlights you can watch at Stanford. You'll be like, dang, like some oops, some athleticism, some shots, pull up shots. And you're like, why didn't it work? And I don't know. I don't have all the answers for that. I'm just so intrigued with how NBA teams will evaluate him of do they think he is the high school version of him and saying, all right, I think we can give him a pass for this one year at Stanford. Or will they say, dang, like, was he like, why was he ranked so high and hold the Stanford year against him? Because you're always looking for the wing scores. And I brought Jaden McDaniels earlier to six, eight guys who can get buckets and all of that. I'm just, I'm so intrigued what, what happens with him. I mean, if that really was just a wash, just, and he, he does turn out to be a really good player, and he goes to a team like, say, Memphis at 17 or Golden State at 14, Yeah, I'll be, I'll be mad forever, you know, <laughs> and becomes like a stud. Because there, are, there always is a guy or two that are like that. They either just slip through the cracks or maybe they just have a bad year, they come out anyway, whatever, and, like, they end up being awesome. Like, clearly they should have gone in the top 10, but for whatever reason they fell. Like. Yeah. Brandon Clark, for example, who's mm. also on Memphis. And it's just like, and then two years later, or even two seconds later, we're all looking around like, guys, what are we doing? Like, how did we let this happen? How did, how did, I was just went back and looked at the 2011 draft order. And like, it's not just Clay Thompson. Dude, Kawhi freaking Leonard falls out all the way down to 15. Like, what, what were we looking at, guys? Yeah. Like, you had all year to watch these guys. Kawhi Leonard at 15, Tobias Harris at 19. Like, what's the deal? How did how did this happen? How did we let this happen? And so, I mean, maybe maybe it is the case with them. But, dude, I mean, that's a, that sounds like a year full of adversity. And so, you know, you are tempted to just say, like, dude, just flush it, you know. And I feel like, you know, NBA teams, there's a lot of pressure on them to to nail the pick and everything. But, like... How many times did you and I talk on mic and off mic this season, Isaac, about just like, dude, this season is so – it is stressing everybody out, yeah. the players, the, the staff, the coaches, us, the fans, 
everyone is just mad all the time. Like this season is such a joke, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it obviously, it was a very legitimate season. I'm not detracting. You know, I'm very happy that they played a season. It was great, but like, it was just so, there was so much extra stuff going on that just like the 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 pot was just shaking all year yeah. long. You know, it was just steam coming out from everywhere. And so I am tempted to just give guys like just a break without knowing anything about him, the person or any, uh, I've never having talked to spoken to him or anything. Say like, look, man, it weird stuff happens. Like we get, we collectively give the Toronto Raptors a break for playing their whole season in Tampa. You know, they were one of the worst yeah. teams in the NBA this year. Um, whenever you go through really weird circumstances like that, I am tempted to just say clean slate, second chance, you know? Yeah, and and that's where I, that's why I want to say I'm mad. It's like you talk to the right, like you talk or you read the right person, and they're like, "I'm a believer in his talent." Still, like they give it the okay, but then you hear another guy, and it's like, "Man, I watched so much tape at Stanford, and he was so like, it was not what I thought he would be in high school." So I'm just, and if it's that way with scouting with people who cover the draft all the time. How is it going to be like, I feel like there's probably going to be teams that says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that. Like it's not there, but I think, and then we could see a team at 13, 14, 15 say, you know what? Like it's worth it right now. Like let's swing for that talent and let's ride off that year. Yeah. I mean, I, Golden State is apparently trying extremely hard to trade their guy from last year and then one or both of their picks for a star now. But if they can't, they're like, whatever. If we, if we whiff on this pick, who cares? Let's just take the most talented guy. You know, yeah. or like OKC, who has like 79 picks, including 16 and 18. Why not? You know, yeah. like, why not? There's no pressure. If if you whiff, you whiff. Or again, Memphis at 17. I'd be pretty mad, but it's okay. <laughs> I would get over it. Um, I guess before I get to the last guy, Isaac, do you expect... I certainly expect one week from now to hear about it, but five years from now put you on the spot right now without knowing who gets taken there do you think fans will be mad that the 21st pick is with the Knicks or with uh you know the, the wish that it was with the Mavs or do you think that it'll be all good and you know it'll the average thing will play out in the 21st pick will just kind of be okay no I don't I don't think Mavs said I don't think we're gonna care I mean unless it's like unless it's one of those things to where they just hit the right person and it it's the yeah it's like one of those it's a it's a yeah it's a all-star type of player and they just have to strike gold at the 21st pick but I mean we could sit here and go all day of the 20 you know picks in the 20s that we never hear from or ones that become quality role players and it's like even if this player at 21 for the Knicks ends up being a role player that's like their sixth or seventh guy off the bench, congrats. Like you still do that deal a million times over. So, and I mean, yeah, it's a pick in the twenties. So yeah. The last time, well, they didn't win. They didn't have a pick the year they traded uh, the pick that became reddish, which that doesn't count because they didn't have a very good record. But the last time they traded a mid first round pick 2016, that was part of the Rondo trade to Boston it ended up being, I believe, the 16th overall pick or 18th overall pick or something. It became Gorshan Yabuselli. And so that's typically players in that mid to bottom first round area. Some of them pan out. Some of them don't. So we'll see what happens. But that's where the Mavs would have been picking. 
And there's a very good chance that every guy Isaac mentioned and that most of the guys I mentioned will be gone by 21 anyway. So, and yeah. everybody on the episode that Mike and I just did, like For most sure. of these guys, Io Io might be there. Like Io's a guy, I could and, and Rokas might be still be there too. Yeah, but but everybody else, I don't know. Uh, all right, last one for the episode. Uh, another huge climber, like yeah. ridiculous climber, to the point now where like I'm not convinced he won't just be the number one overall pick, Isaac. Uh, I'm talking about, and again, sorry, I'm a white guy from Texas. I suck. Uh, Alperin Şengün from uh, Besiktas. He is uh, from the Turkish league. The Turkish league, well, and the uh, Besiktas, I believe, was in the Euroleague last season. I'm not double sure. I'm not extremely positive on that. I should have checked on that. But uh, Besiktas is a very, very good team. The Turkish league is a very, very good league. Outside of Spain, maybe the best league in Europe and Euroleague, mm. obviously. But like we're talking domestically, like Spain. Russia, maybe. Italy, maybe. Dude, the Turkish League is legit. Anadolu Efes, the reigning EuroLeague champions. That's Roddy B and Shane Larkin. Um, they have uh, Besiktas, of course, Galatas- Galatasaray, uh, Darusha Faka. They have uh, one other team out there. Oh, Fenerbahce, of course, is like a huge European power. Uh, a lot of really good teams in Turkey. And so if you play there and you can make it, then you're really good. And boy, was he really good. He was the freaking Turkish League MVP. Fenerbahce had, had a, a great head coach last year, too. You said what? Fenerbahce had a, had a good head coach last year. Ah, they did. They did. They did. Now, do, can you name the head coach of Besiktas? Oh, no. Not at all. I can't <laughs> either. But I know who coached Fenerbahce. Um, Shangun was 18 years old. I believe still is 18 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. But was 18 years old last season. Won the Turkish League MVP. He averaged 19-9. and nine. Shot better than 60% from the floor. Shot better than 80% from the free throw line. The dude is an absolute beast. 6'10", 240. Uh, Wingspan is unknown. Looks like he has pretty long arms, though. Uh, His thing, Isaac, is he is just... He is basically... I I don't... I guess I'll get into the comparison later on, but the dude is just money around the basket. Post-up guy. Very, very throwback back to the basket. I mean, I'm talking, like, nimble footwork... Little baby hooks over either shoulder, up and unders. I mean, he's got the whole bag. Like, the mic and drill is like, he looks like he does the mic and drill before he even gets out of bed. Like, very, very classic. My dad is going to love this guy. That's why I wrote that in my notes. My dad is going to just <laughs> love him. Very pretty post-up game. Can finish with either hand. Really, really good touch around the rim, dude. Really, really good touch around the rim. Um, and he can pass, too. I mean, he can, he can do everything. He is a very much a old-school post-up player. Um, 1.2 points per possession overall, 1.148 in half court, 1.3 as the roll man, 1.5 on putbacks. The dude is just an automatic bucket. Uh, just really, really, really good player. Has a little bit of a jump shot, not quite the three point shot. Um, certainly from NBA range, but he can stretch out a little bit to the mid range, which and and was 80 like 80.2% or something from the free throw line. So, um, you know, you have maybe some hope that he can develop the long range game. Um, but the question, I guess like analytically you had Chad Ford on, um, uh, locked on Mavs the other day. And he kind of said this, um, analytics people love him because he's just, the dude is just the, he's a bucket. Yeah. He's straight up a bucket. Hollinger has him at four, four, <laughs> four. Yeah. I mean, that is crazy, but it's because he can just score. 
Yeah. But that's he he plays post and defensively, eh, you know, uh, perimeter wise, eh, athletically, meh. And so the question is, how valuable is a back to the basket big? You know, is he yeah. Demonis Sabonis or is he Ennis Cantor? And that's a very important distinction because Demonis Sabonis is an all star. Ennis Cantor is super duper ultra mega efficient. He's like Boban, like automatic double double. Like dude fills stuffs the stat sheet, but in high leverage situations or against super athletic teams, like you can't play him. So it is kind of this weird thing of like, there's two outcomes really with bigs like that. It's not like you're going to be in the middle. You're either going to play and be really good, or you're not going to play at all, and you're going to be you know kind of a liability to, uh, potentially if you are out there. And so. I don't. I don't really have a feel for it. It's not my job to figure it out, but I know talent when I see it. And my God, that guy can put the ball in the basket. He he has a move in the post that is one of the most beautiful things to watch. When he catches it, and he has such a great ability at knowing where the the defender behind him, like where their body is at, and picking the right time to do the drop step drop step spin, like. This dude hit spin move around his left shoulder to just like. Oh, it's I, disgusting. It's literally, yeah, it's disgusting. You see, guy, like, he like fakes it too. Cause like, yeah. he knows. Like, he beats a guy with it once, and then the next time down, he'll do it again, and they're like shook. You know? And you're like, you know, it's coming. Like, as somebody that's watching, you're like, it's coming, it's coming. Bam. It's so quick. He's so, I love, I love. When, because we just don't see it very often now. I think that's the reason why I love it so much. I love seeing like guys like Joel Embiid work in the post. I'm like, I love it. I just I miss it. I selfishly miss it. Even though I get the whole thing about NBA threes, I, I get all of that. I like. I thoroughly enjoy. I'm like. I guess I'm like your dad, and I love seeing a good guy in the post do some post. It's pretty. It's just. Re- it's it just is really cool. You know. It's yes. art. And so yeah, I love it. I love watching. Like just, I haven't did a super deep dive into him, but I, I have, you know, his offensive side of the game. My my biggest question is like what you brought up of like, of everything that's happening in today's game of the threes and everybody's looking for those, you know, the switchable guys and can you play small and everything. Like, can you spend a top pick on a guy like this who might not be able to play at the end of a playoff game? Now the counter to that would be like. Hey, if DeAndre Ayton's out there, or we have the Jokic's of the world, we have like there's teams out there who have bigs that are playing in games. I just that's my whole thing with him, and I, honestly, I just haven't watched him enough to be able to have a firm opinion on. Oh, he'll be able to play defense. I know he could pass. I like his passing. I like offensively. You, he's got that. I think there's some little, little question marks as far as like his outside shooting, but like. It's just defensively, and to draft a, you know, basically what six ten, six eleven. Some people say he's like six nine, but I think he's taller than that. But it's like, what, what are you? Are you going to spend a, a high draft pick on a big who might not be able to play defense? Greg Popovich has entered the chat, dude. I mean, that is. Oh, that you know, the Spurs have this circled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I, I just confirmed it. Big shit, God, we've been podcasting for too long. Besiktas was not in EuroLeague last season, uh, so pretty much what he did was all in the domestic league. But again, the Turkish league is very, very good. So if you're the MVP of the Turkish league, you are a legit stud. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we talked about before, this every playoff really for the last five or six years has kind of 
led to this moment, but it felt like this year more than ever was the ultimate, like, it's hard out here for centers, you know? Yeah. If you're Nick Batum, you're playing power forward center now in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, yeah. That is just that is what it is. Like the Mavs were playing, they had like Dorian at center at some points in this series. I mean, they went the total opposite direction with Boban, and you know did pretty well with it until Game Seven. But you know, basically, if you're a center, it is tough to be out there. I mean, look and, at Zubats. Cantor was ta- what? Like Zubats. Look at Zubats. It's yeah. Like depending on the matchup, the dude. I mean, you go against a guy like Luca. Bam. I mean, he's off the floor. He's not playing. And, like, depending on the series, he could play more. But it's, like, is there a world that you take you take Shingun? Did I say it right? Uh, I believe the the S is like a sh, but it's the – there's an umlaut over the U. And in German, that means it's more of like a uh sound, like a uh, not like U. But I don't know in Turkish how that translates. Shingun. But, like, if you take him, is there a world that – you're, which I mean, now you're just worrying about all oh, playoff series and all stuff. You get like wrapped up in that world, but it's like, all right, now your high draft pick, you know, is is Cantor, and but like we don't know, but can he be Sabonis? That's the I, those are two great names you threw out there as far as which one of those two can he be? Yeah, I mean Sabonis, awesome. Like no, I love him. He's yeah. really, really, really freaking good. Um, but he would be way better if he could shoot threes, you know, yeah. and he kind of does. He kind of can, but he doesn't. Yeah always and so now you have a situation where you have miles turner who's a super talented big man and you're trying to make it work but you just can't really and sabonis isn't really a center so you kind of need to have turner out there to protect him but then on offense it's sort of wonky sometimes so i guess now that's that's rick's problem to solve but like it's just i don't know it's going to be really really interesting to see which team takes him and and what kind of role he takes on because like dude he's clearly talented enough offensively to play in the nba yesterday like the yeah. guy can score he's got i mean he's got Jokic moves in the post like the guy is unbelievable um but you know we'll see what happens i don't know it's don't, it's it's really kind of it is he's very he's like garuba but offensive you know yeah there's there's a lot of yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a wide range of outcomes, I guess. There's a lot of players like in these specific lanes, and you have the Kispert, the shooting. You have Garuba in defense. You have Shingun of you know this like you know post guy, big but can be more. It's like you have these guys, and yeah, I don't think he lasts past San Antonio. I could see Orlando taking him with one of those you know two top ten picks too. Yeah, I think like. Maybe this is like an existential question and too much to talk about right now or something, but like this two part, you can answer either one, I guess. First, even if your NBA skill is weird, if you're like the best at something, that's worth being drafted pretty early, right? Yeah. And then second, because you could improve at everything else. You could. You yeah. don't know. Sometimes you're a great athlete, you never get better at anything, and you're out of the league when you're 22. Sometimes you're a great post-up player, and you're just a bench warmer for the, your whole career because you can't defend. I mean, like, there's it happens all the time. But if you're a 99 at something, then, like, you deserve to be drafted. Second, Ennis Cantor, you know, it has not had the career of a number three overall pick, but Ennis Cantor's had a really good career. Yeah. And so it's like, if, if you knew the player that Ennis Cantor would become – where would you draft him? 
The answer is probably late lottery to mid first round. You know, I don't know who was in his draft, like off the top of my head. Like, I'm not talking a redraft. I'm just talking like if you were to classify him as a player, a guy who can be a backup big man for his entire career, fill in as a starter, put up numbers. Like, you're drafting that guy in the in the mid first round at at worst. Yeah, yeah, and that's what when draft stuff just gets fascinating because you know teams. You hear different people say, hey, never draft for need, right? It's like, always take the best player available. But then, especially when you get later in the draft, you, you start seeing teams try to, like, find these guys to fit into these lanes. Like, we just listed some guys in these specific lanes, even like a Josh Giddy, who is a great playmaker, questionable, like, shooting and stuff. But, like, there you go. It's like, bigger playmaker, Garuba, the defender, like, all – like. You start going down these like, and then you have the like the swings, the Zaire Williams, the Jalen Johnson. Like, what is going? Like, what? How do you judge Jalen Johnson? Who's left two of his spots, IMG and Duke, and it's like, what is what is he? Like, these are swing type of moves. There, like, you just don't know what they're going to be. The Kai Jones of the world. These like these bigs. That it's like, what what is this? So I you. Some teams draft by these needs, but then some teams just say they're in a spot, they're in a rebuild to where they're like, hey, we'll just take best player available. Let's look what OKC did with Poku last year. It's like, we'll take the swing. We got time. Like, let's make the Poku show. Yeah, Chad and Ford said Shingun and OKC are like, it's, but I don't know if he's going to be around that long. You know, no, no, I don't. And that's what, you know, Chad was alluding to saying, hey, OKC's got all these picks. Like, I don't. Don't think he's gonna last there. Like, can can they use some picks? Will they go and try to go get Singun in that? So that's the man. Draft night is so much fun. Okay, real quick, you threw at me some uh, some international names. I want to throw one at you real quick. Okay, Vrenz Blindberg. Oh, the uh, Belgian. He's, uh, he's Belgian, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty uh, years live old, tweeting his workout with the Mavs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like this guy. I like this guy. Just. Be on the lookout for this guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's chronicling his draft workout journey to a degree that I am am not familiar with. You know, like he's yeah. really like saying where he's going and everything. Like it's it's pretty impressive. Um, I will say, I'm sure I'm allowed to divulge this information because I'm saying a lot without Ooh. saying really anything at all. But um, as someone who works at the Mavs office and lives very close, um. I know they've been having people in and out of that building doing workouts. I'm not going to say who they are because sometimes I don't even recognize who they are, but like, do you know what having people in Cade Cunningham looks like <laughs> I could pick Cade. If I, if Cade Cunningham was at Kroger, I'd be able to be like, don't get that brand. Get the, get the other one. It's better. It's better. Cade. All right. Hey, I saw, I saw Ray Felton at Kroger one time. Dude, Ray Felton is a, is a beast. He's We're still, both getting, they, they're still playing pickup. Him and Monte are still playing pickup in Dallas really? all the time. Yeah, dang, yeah. we were both getting all the grapes. time. I mean, <laughs> occasionally. But. You're you're running two guard for him, right? Yeah, I'm out there with them. I'm more of a floor spacer. Let them do their, uh, give them room for the. But uh, but like they're having a lot of people in there, and so just because they don't have a pick, it doesn't mean they're not you know looking for guys. Uh, they still got to fill out a summer league roster, if nothing else, and they have to put together a training camp roster. So they're still working guys out. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously guys in the lottery are not going to come to Dallas unless there's a reason to believe they're going to trade into the lottery somehow. But like, you know, I would expect in between now and the draft, you might hear a lot about 
someone who's like the 24th rated prospect or the 34th rated prospect and you're like we don't have a pick how are we doing that sometimes it's good to develop relationships maybe they are thinking about trading into the draft i have no idea so they're just doing their due diligence but they are working out i know they're working out a lot of guys because i'm seeing a lot of people go in and out of that place a lot of ubers and buses dropping off people and picking them up and getting out of there so um yeah so they're they're doing they're doing their homework right now well i mean you look at you just look at the second round. I mean, look how many teams in the second round have multiple second round picks from the OKC, Toronto. I mean, OKC has more than <laughs> Pelicans have three, I think, right? They got a lot. Pelicans, yeah. I mean, Charlotte has two. Um, yeah, I think OKC has three, maybe, in this. Yeah, OKC has 34, 36, and then 55. So, I mean, there's no way some you know some of these teams are going to keep all in addition to what OKC has two first or three, three first three first they have like yeah. six sixteen and eighteen yeah <laughs> so they have six total picks in the draft next Thursday I mean are they really bringing six rookies to camp so you know they'll either <laughs> package some of those and move up but that's the type of thing where if Dallas says hey you know if Nico Harrison sent back saying I want to let's go let's go get a second rounder let's go get a guy. And let's buy into the second. If one of these teams like OKC or Toronto, whoever is like, we got multiple seconds. We don't want all, everything. Like we'll just, we'll sell off one of these picks. And Nico goes out and drafts somebody. It's his first like addition to the team. And we can all have fun and talk about it. Like that would not shock me, but there's also a route too to where they just took over. They're still learning the ropes and everything and figuring everything. Like as far as relationships and stuff out and how things work. And if they set it out too and say, Hey, we're, like we don't have a pick. Let's have fun with it, build relationships, but we're not going to, you know, try to trade into the draft. I could see that route too. So I think either way, but also, I mean, and I, it's been, I guess a week or something since I've looked at the maps cap sheet, but they only have a couple of free agents anyway. And so it's, it's not like, you know, there are some teams that are going to have like five roster spots to fill, you know, yeah. so you need to draft guys. The Mavs don't need to draft someone. It would be cool if they did. It's always good to add young guys and whatever. But like, I believe based on the fact that they're like in the facility all the time that Hinton and Bay are going to be back. Um, I would presume as two way players, maybe they get a full NBA contract. I have no idea, but if they do, that is two spots on the roster. But um, like, they're not like, in need of bodies they're not in need of two-way guys so if they do trade into the draft um or buy into the draft or whatever then it'll be for a guy that like they really want which is kind of interesting to me because it'll be like it's not like they're sitting at 37 and they're going to pick someone no matter what like yeah. if they if they get someone it's going to be because they go and get them which will be that'll be like i don't know just kind of cool to me i guess or it could be like a draft and stash guy if they look at somebody like blindberg and say hey you're 20 610 like let's do this let's go and he's there at 50 something like hey well cool we'll buy this pick for cheap and stash you but it's like what you said with the young guys like dallas has four super young dudes on the roster next year and josh green tyrell terry tyler bay nate hinton like these are their rookies basically and if all four of those guys are back josh green's you know obviously playing in the olympics for australia but Tyrell Terry, like we're excited to see like what does he bring in year two we didn't get to see a lot of him last year so i think if you're looking for young guys that are like some like a draft pick type of guy, like they already have those type of dudes with Hinton and Bay and Tyrell Terry and Josh Green to an extent. So yeah, and you can only have so many of those guys on the roster for a team that's wanting to move further in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. All right, man, this is a long pod, an hour and a half. Holy cow! Um, is there anything 
that you wanted to plug, promote, or say before we get out of here? I don't guess so. I, I'm just I'm excited, you know, for draft night. I think we'll all be together and get to talk Mavs, talk about the draft, and the draft's always fun. And I think the biggest thing that you know, we're obviously fans of the, the league in general more than just the Mavs of what's what's the bigger trade that happens? You know, are there some big moves that go down draft night with some bigger names across the league and other franchises? And it feels like, you know, every other year or I don't want to say every year, but maybe every other year that some big name gets moved in the top 10 or something and draft picks are changing, but it, it drastically shapes the or reshapes the league kind of, you know, I think about the Jimmy Butler trade, you know, that happened on draft night, what, a handful of years ago to, you know, Anthony Davis was a couple of years ago. That's true. Yeah. And where immediately, you know, marketing's going to, to Chicago and Jimmy Butler's like, that was, Whoa, like what happened? So will there be that type of moment that happens, you know, next Thursday night, right before, you know, the draft on Thursday night, that's the exciting stuff. And if you want to see our live reactions to that, you can, Watch the uh, Mavs Twitch live stream and everything on draft night. That's right. That is twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Isaac, I'm going to let you go with this question here. Um, what are the odds that the Mavs get the number one pick? Do you think that, do you think that they're going to trade for the number one overall pick? I'm going with a um, – I can't go – I don't want to do a high 90s, maybe 80s. No. Pretty good chances that they're going to end up with number one. Um, uh, zero. <laughs> zero? Dang it. Then what's the, what's even the point? Why are we streaming? Um, there are very good players who go outside the top ten. All right. Well, I'm going to go home, Isaac. Thank you for joining me tonight. It was awesome. Um, and thank you all for listening. This is part two again. Uh, we're going to have one more podcast next week, kind of talking about maybe some second-round guys, maybe the overall draft. I don't know. We'll just kind of see. But uh, And then, like Isaac alluded to, we're going to be doing the stream on Thursday. That is twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks. Going to be covering the first round. That's a whole bunch of fun that is going to be had. And we'll see you guys then. Uh, thank you for listening. Isaac, thank you for joining. This is The Ceiling is the Roof. Don't put a limit on yourself out there and michael jordan stop limiting north carolina tar heels isaac demanded it he called you out he's on to your bs and he says enough is enough we'll see you next time <laughs>